People of planet Earth, welcome to the Awoken Word podcast. This is Anuj Rastogi, your host. 2020 has been crazy. I'm not really sure what sort of odd vibe or bizarre cloud is hanging over the world, but it's truly been an odd year. I'm not sure that I've ever heard so many people wanting to step away and say, let's just restart this year. If I had my way, I would control alt delete and restart this whole year, but I'm not in charge. If you are listening to this soon after releasing, we are in the midst of perhaps the most widespread pandemic that we've had since at least 1918 or so, the COVID-19 coronavirus. It has really brought to light a lot about the world, about people and about our systems and our interdependencies and the way that we work with each other, the way that we trade with each other, and the way that we interact with each other as we travel around the world, zooming around in commercial airlines. As you're listening to this right now, many of you are probably, like myself and my family, going through some social distancing right now, where we essentially go on mass house arrest and stay in, which is something that is quite foreign to a lot of people in today's day and age. And it strikes me that it takes calamities or disasters or all sorts of disruptions in our everyday life, particularly at scale, to remind us of what's really important. I happened just today to be flipping through some photos on my phone, and I had downloaded a copy of the Pale Blue Dot, the famous photo from Voyager missions from billions of miles away when Voyager turned its camera towards Earth. And you can see the Earth as just this literal pale blue dot swimming in an abyss of endless space. And looking at that image and thinking about what we're all going through, these words hit me today and I just want to share them real quick with you. Though we are not all together in this, we are all in this together. I think that sums up a lot of how I feel and how a lot of people feel about the current situation and just the situation in general that we find ourselves in in today's world. Now, all that said, there's absolutely a virus that's wreaking havoc on the world and traveling, but something going viral doesn't necessarily need to be a negative thing. In fact, I wanted today's episode to be a reminder of just how beautiful and incredible this world really is. And I'm very fortunate to be able to meet the kind of people that I meet on a often daily basis. And today's conversation honestly is just a breath of fresh air. Our guest today is Jeff Teravainen. Many, many of you will know Jeff from his roles on the TV series 12 Monkeys, on Dark Matter. Many of you had your children undergo all sorts of traumatic situations because he was the bad guy in last year's Christmas Chronicles. Jeff has also done a tremendous amount of voiceover work for commercial advertising as well as for film, TV, and video games. And this conversation with Jeff was just really inspiring. Jeff and I sit down as two men, as two husbands, as two fathers, and we really just nerd out about what makes us tick, 
And I really got to know a lot more about Jeff in the time that we spent together. For one, Jeff really, really loves his daughter. And it comes out very quickly. I don't think we make it a full 90 seconds into the conversation before he mentions her. We explore the idea of boredom and how even though boredom seems to be dying because we've got smartphones in our hands all the time, some of the best things really come out of boredom. We talk a lot about the inside world of acting. And when you hear about the craft of acting, the profession of acting, oftentimes you're hearing about it from celebrities at a certain point in their career where they may have forgotten about some of the initial trials and tribulations and some of the realities of what it actually means to be an actor and in a creative profession, some of the challenges that you end up facing. Jeff's got an incredible body of work already. He's really a wonderful artist in his craft, but he's so incredibly honest and humble and gracious and grateful for everything that he has and all the people that he has in his life and all the opportunities that he's had. He's hustled and he's hustling day in, day out. And I think many of you who have seen him on screen, have gotten to know and love the characters that he plays, you may be surprised just to realize how much of a hustle it is on an ongoing basis. We also reminisce a lot on the days just before the internet. We talk about what it means to be a man today. And there's some really beautiful things that Jeff says in this conversation that I thought were really timely and really important. So I just wanted to say a big thank you to Jeff. Thank you for making time for this conversation. I think the world is better for having artists and creatives and men like you in it. And this conversation should be some warm and much needed positivity in a time when we're all kind of isolated from each other physically, but we have no reason to not be there for each other in every other possible way, especially when technology allows it today. If you find yourself at home or you find yourself alone a lot more over the next few weeks or months perhaps, you've got some company here. The conversations that we're having, I honestly believe are timeless and they're important. And to all the people out there listening to the podcast, thank you. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I really appreciate you being here and making time for this. If you are enjoying this podcast, please help spread the word. Hit us up on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating, leave a review. Every one of those matters. It makes a big difference. We're also on Spotify. We're on Ruckus Avenue Radio. We're on TuneIn. We're on Stitcher. So you have no excuse not to find the podcast. And www.awokenword.com is where you can find all of the content, all the information about the guests. And I think we have an opportunity through dialogue through conversation and just open, honest exchange to just make this world better. And now we've got some downtime so we can make this shit happen. So without further ado, I give you the actor, the father, the man, Jeff Taravainen. This podcast is my humble attempt to bring a full grain of sand of goodness to the beach of human experience. Inspiring. This podcast is my love letter to all of you. The Awoken Word Podcast. Testing one, two, three. Okay, good. 
And I am here live with Jeff Terav... I'm going to fuck this up. I told you. <laughs> How can I say it? Teravainen. Teravainen. I am here with Jeff Teravainen, and a lot of you will know this man. I'm actually lucky. The way I came to know him was in the neighborhood. We're actually neighbors, and it's not every day you get to see one of your neighbors on TV. Jeff, you've been a recurring character in a lot of great shows, Dark Matter, as Lieutenant Anders, Agent Stack on 12 Monkeys. I have heard from kids at our kids' school that you also ruined Christmas in the Christmas Chronicles. Yeah. I know you do a ton of voiceover work for the CBC, for Hockey Night in Canada, for the Olympics. Ladies and gentlemen, once you hear Jeff's voice, you'll know exactly why. And you've done a bunch of voiceover work for video games as well, which is exciting. Jeff, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We finally did it. I just want to talk to people who have different experiences and think about the world around them. You're one of those people. And then here we are finally, like almost a year and a half later, making this happen. So, Jeff, we're neighbors, we're husbands, we're family men. We've got a lot in common here. We're both musicians, we're creatives. We're about the same height, except that you're about a foot taller. We've got a lot in common here, which is part of the reason why I want to talk to you. But you've also had a very different life. And I think day to day, your adventures seem to be quite unique for a lot of people. And I just want to understand you as a person a little bit better. For those miserable few people who don't know who you are, who are you? These days, I'm, I'm an actor. Uh, I'm an actor and a, and a dad, a family guy, I guess. I guess 15 years plus I've been doing it full time and uh, very, very lucky to do it. It's a grind in Canada. It's, uh, I don't know what the ratio is, but most actors are doing other jobs. It's just like musician as well. Right. I, I left the music industry to go to something more stable like acting. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 obviously I think I love it because you can't do this stuff and, you know, get hit on the head so many times without loving it. Mm -hmm. And again, that's a, a great parallel to music because, you know, I spent all my years being crushed, you know, doing the music industry, but you just, you love it so much that you have to take a chance on it. It's almost like I've, I've compared it to like a drug addiction or something. It's like, you can't leave it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so many times in music, it felt like the world was saying, you gave it a shot. It's time to go get on with your life. And something weird would happen. Like a, like a drug dealer would say, Hey, you've won a factor award that you, you know, submitted for like five months ago. Oh, okay. Well, we got to stay in this thing. So you do it again, and then you know, things don't work out. And again, another award or something comes by. And not everyone has a lucky drug dealer, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> huh. It's funny because it sounds like you jumped from one roller coaster onto another one. Like, yeah. What, what's What's similar about it? Well, I mean, it's the art. So there, you're using that creative thing. I, I'm just a creative person. Uh, and I see that in my daughter as well. She's unbelievably creative. So I guess I, we pass that on to her. I don't know. But with me, I was always coming up with things. I've never been bored. I can honestly say I've never been bored in my life. If you stuck me in an elevator, I'll come up with something to do as a kid mm -hmm. or now. So, you know, they're both industries that you you can really explore things and have fun with. But again, it's one of those things that a lot of people want to get in. So the competition is fierce. And you know, there's a lot of rejection and stuff like that. So it's not an easy field. Right. So boredom. I look at people today, not just kids, because it's so easy to kind of talk about kids and millennials and whatnot. But anytime 
I'm on the subway or in traffic or waiting or, you know, grabbing lunch or whatever, 95% of people are on their phones. Just, you know, down here, heads down sort of thing. Like we don't give ourselves a moment to be bored at all. And I'm guilty as charged too. Like a lot of times I have to force myself uh, not to do it. I have to remind myself because I'm sort of, I conditioned myself to just pick up the phone. And I think every time we do that, A, we're fighting away boredom, but B, we're also like, we're forgetting to actually interact with the world around us. True. And I kind of wonder in this context, like we grew up in a time when if there was no TV, there was no TV. There was nothing to watch when you're on a road trip or something. You just watch whatever's outside the window. And that's when crazy ideas come. That's when you think of a story. That's when you maybe come up with some crazy character or you think of a song or you start drawing or whatever it is. Like creativity almost kind of comes from the nothingness of boredom. Yeah. I wonder what happens to people when there is no boredom. You know, it's a, it's a great question because my wife and I talk about this all the time. When you have kids and they have access to technology, they want to watch shows, movies, YouTubers, that sort of thing. And so many times my wife, who's more of a hardliner in the family, will say, that's it. It's out. You're, you're not touching it for a day. Yeah. And, you know, they'll be like, but, but, but. And she'll say, the best things happen when you're bored. Because that's when she's going to pick up a book and maybe find the one book that makes her just die inside when it's over because she has to read more. Right. Like, I remember that feeling. I remember, I can still remember, I forget the book, but I remember that feeling of, oh, my God, it's done. What am I going to do yeah. now? I love this. Yeah. But also, you know, we didn't have the luxury of all these iPads and that sort of thing, so we, we created. Right. Like, I don't know if it's with me, but I've got a little uh, eye drop thing in my, and I was telling my wife about this last night. Yeah, here it is. You know what this was? This is a, a, a little droplet of visine uh, bottle. This was a, a tanker in space for me. Right in the front here is where the crew is, and then they have cabins back here, and they're transporting water to an asteroid. This is, I swear, this is the kind of stuff that I would be doing if I was, a, when my mom would take me to a friend's place, and there's no kids, you know, what do I do with myself? So I'd be up there, and like, I'd have everything, like, lined up, because I was constantly imagining. That's, and, it's funny, you, you took that out, and you, you described it, and as soon as you did that, my kid imagination automatically zoomed in, to the deck where something's happening in the crew and then zoomed out and zoomed into another part of the ship. Our imaginations are so powerful if we actually just allow them to do their thing. Yeah, and nobody does anymore. I mean, I I work in such a creative field, so obviously there are people doing things. Sometimes I worry that, you know, they're relying too much on old ideas and rehashing them, which you're seeing so much. And maybe that's part of what's going on where people aren't using their head enough. They are buried in their iPad, and, and once they go through their favorite songs and, and play a, a game they probably wouldn't even normally play, but they're on a subway, um, so they're doing that. Every, every car ride for me when I was a musician, I composed. I was constantly working on music mm. or, or something to do with, with music. I found that the sound of the road uh, helped me zone out into the right place. Showers were a great place. Like a lot of the stuff we did, that's where they came from, was that, that little noise, that, that white noise, I guess you'd say, whatever. And everything was blocked out, and then i just drift off and start thinking. And I think to myself now, if I was teens and 20s, what would I be doing? Would I be playing music, or would I be buried in, a, in an iPad or something right. like that? You know? For whatever reason, I think I'm just this anomaly, at least within the family. That creative bug just never went away from like drawing to sculpting to music and then now the podcast like making videos like I just like to create yeah and it doesn't even matter what it is if it's something that I enjoy I just like to create and I create a lot of things 
And I think part of it is just what you spend your time doing, right? Like I, quite honestly, neither my wife or I watch that much TV. Uh, every now and then we might binge watch a series or something, and then it basically sucks us dry of energy. So you're not doing anything else. But I can see why people don't actually create anything because they're too busy consuming, right? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with consuming. Like we need to be able to consume good stuff too. But I, I find that I just try to put like restrictions and limitations on myself. Like sometimes, you know, I'll just, I need to come up with something before the subway ride ends. Like I'll only take out the phone and I'll only use a phone if I've got an idea to write something. Or I have these two instruments and I want to just kind of fix some sort of limitation and create something within that. And I think when we have put limits on ourselves, whether it's you being in the shower or on a road trip and not having anything else to do, creativity kind of comes out of that because mm-hmm. your, your brain is trying to find a way to do something with the time. And I, like, that's one thing, even with the kids too. And same thing with my wife, she's pretty, um, you know, sometimes the kids might get a little bit carried away with the iPads or whatever, and then we'll just park them away for days. And first of all, there's a little bit of almost anxiety for the first yeah. 15, 20 <laughs> minutes. And then they just move on to the next thing and they create some crazy thing exactly. that would not Beautiful have happened. things happen. Yeah. It's they just draw amazing. or whatever they do. Yeah. So you went from music to acting. Why acting though? Specifically. I always wanted to be an actor. I was thinking about this recently, how I would come out of the theaters and you'd have that incredible feeling that, you know, you just saw a movie and you, the characters resonated with you and you wanted to be that person say, and I would always try to imitate them, work on their accents and stuff. So it was always something that I was really interested in. I grew up in a, in a very small town called Orno, uh, which is not too far from, say, uh, Oshawa or Peterborough, if you're Canadian market, if they know that. Very small towns in their own right. So the thought of being an actor or anything like that was, you know, it's impossible. How do you do that? So I never pursued it. But music-wise, right out of the gate, I remember being something at a school or something like that. And they handed me something to play. And immediately people were like, have you ever played this before? And I'm like, oh, no. And I could just figure out how to do. So music just came so naturally that that's why I pursued it. But yeah, I always wanted to act. Um, my dream as I got more involved with music is that, you know, you have one of those typical things where your career goes okay and then the offers start coming in. Hey, we'd be interested in you, you know, doing a little thing and hopefully build it from there. But uh, the career never panned out the way we wanted it to. So, mm-hmm. you know, the acting roles didn't come. I never, ever had any desire to be an actor just because I didn't think it was something that I would be particularly good at anyways. And I was probably absolutely right. But one thing that I find really unique about acting, there's a saying about books, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't even know the source of, of who said this, but, this, but you know, a, a man who doesn't read only lives one life, a man who reads lives a thousand lives. You know, this idea that you're basically inserting yourself into a world, into an experience, into a narrative that you would never otherwise experience. And then I think acting as a craft is taking that to a whole other level because you're not just inserting yourself into that, you are living it. Like if you really care about what you're doing, you're actually living it. When I was in LA late last summer, I was at this one event and I met this guy, classic cliched scenario, Tall guy came in from Colorado, had dreams of being an actor, lived in a small town, never thought he could do it, but said, that's it. I'm just going to pack up and move to LA. He'd been in LA for two weeks. He was bartending. That story has played out a million times before. So I asked him, I'm like, you and a million other people are doing this exact thing right now. Why acting? And he said something, he's only 24 too. He said something that just completely caught me off guard. He said one word, he said empathy. Okay, tell me more. He's like, 
I want to be able to walk in someone else's skin that I don't know so that I can understand them. And that was all he said. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, wow, okay, that is a powerful, first of all, that's a very realized 24 year old, but like, that's a very powerful thing to be able to say you do for a living. Yeah, it's actually a really good way to put it. Um, and for sure, there's a certain aspect with me that would be like that. I guess that's why we always want so bad to get these really good, deep, meaty roles. You know, mm-hmm. like you, It's like anything. You can get a lot of fluff your way and whatever else. But when you do get a role that you can really sink your teeth into and that's different, um, it's a very satisfying feeling um, exploring them. Because, you know, it's more than just, say, learning the lines. It's trying to understand the character themselves. Most of the time, the actors themselves are, are, are creating those backgrounds. So, you know, most actors, I would say, when they get the breakdown of the role, there's, you know, a few things, character traits about them. It might say they're married or whatever. But then from there, most actors I know will literally create a whole life for that person because it helps ground, ground you when you're acting. At, at. Mm. So, I mean, for example, Gerald on Utopia Falls, I already know all the stuff that, you know, where he was, you know, from what they gave me, it's just gone exponentially after that. I'm always trying to think, you know, why does Gerald do what he does and that sort of thing. Right. So that's the fun part. You're pretending you're creating again. You're creating, you're creating um, a life for somebody who hasn't lived, I guess, you know. Or you could be portraying somebody and you're just trying to be as true to that person as well. And you're, you're studying that person to understand them. I like the way you said that, though, creating a life for someone who hasn't lived. But that's kind of life, period, right? Like, we haven't lived the next moment. Like, we have some decision to make in it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. When you are thinking about your next project, your next role, the thing that you actually want to do, what about a particular role kind of catches your attention? And what do you feel that you can bring to that? Like, how do you kind of go through that? Because you're probably at any given time auditioning for things you're probably considering different options and whatnot like how do you narrow it down to this is the thing i want to do well to be honest with you when you're starting out and even you know that can still happen now uh, you get thrown a lot of things and a lot of things that you really probably wouldn't watch you don't even want to do it's a job though Mm -hmm. so i think a lot of actors unfortunately are doing roles that you know Whatever it is, it could be just a basic cop role or something like that. There's not a lot of emotion there. It's just they, it's it's part of the job and building your resume and your career up so you get better roles. But right now, thankfully, over the last while, I've been getting more dad roles, say. Mm-hmm. And some guys would say they, they don't want to do that. But I'm 6'2 and I'm about 212 pounds. And I swear, if you're over 5'10 and a decent build, you're a monster, you're a killer. You're, right. You know, it's like, especially if you're over six feet, um, so long, it took me so hard, uh, so much energy to try and not play cops or pay, pay, uh, play the enforcer or, you know, the dangerous guy, all that stuff. It's always seemed that, that that's the kind of stuff I would go out for. And, uh, you know, Gerald on the latest show, Utopia Falls, is a perfect example of my heaven place because... He's a sensitive character. In this particular show, he's not a violent character, which is great. Mm-hmm. Not that I have fun playing bad guys. Sure, yeah, I yeah. love playing a good bad guy. I just want to do more than that. So yeah, I, I would I would say uh, your roles that challenge you is one of the things that drives you forward as well. You know, I keep hoping that someday I'll get, I don't know what it would be right now, but this certain role, say like a character like uh, 
on billions. One of the one of the characters they play in that. It's just there's so much going on in those characters. Right. And to play someone like that would be a dream. So you just keep working and hoping that these doors open. Today, like right before I came here, I was I was auditioning for the role of a governor. Um, I hate to think that I'm in that age group that I could play a governor, but I, you know they they wanted me to audition for it. So. Um, you know, it's a challenge, and if I get it, I'll be pretty happy. Right. I've right. been pinned for another role later this month. It means basically we're almost there with it. And it's a feature, and it's a great role. But if I'm being completely honest, it's a type of character I've played before. It's a sports guy. Again, because of the height sort of thing, yeah, you yeah. get a lot of these, you know, Olympians and whatever, like I did on Designated Survivor. And it's maybe sort of a similar thing to that. So I'm elated that I'm getting the job, but at the same point, it's like, yeah, I've played this guy before. Oh, well, mm-hmm. you know. When you play two similar roles, you know, and maybe there's a, a gap of time between them, like how do you, like how much freedom do you believe you have to make it different even within those parameters, right? Because you, you're, you're, you're trying to test yourself along the way as well. It depends. I mean, a lot of your career built going up is what they call day players and that sort of thing where you're basically, they have the, in acting, you're, it starts out as actual roles. That's one to six lines. There's background before that where you don't speak, but you could be doing things. Um, and then you get into principal roles and large principal and then guest star and that sort of thing and series regulars. When you start out, basically, you know, your lines could be, sir, we need you in the room now or less, you know. And when you're doing that, it's actually hard because, you know, you, there's nothing really to work with. So you do whatever the director tells you, you know, like he wants you to be stern, he wants you whatever, and you do it. You can get more into principles. Maybe you can add a little bit more flair and personality to it. Thankfully, again, with the latest shows I've been doing, um, I've got to build the characters right right up from the beginning, so I have more leeway. And in this l- recent role, I was elated because I, I know the showrunners. I felt comfortable, and I said, okay, we're living in a future society. Um, you know, all these sort of things that society wrestles with right now, say same-sex marriage or, or, sure. or racism, yeah. all that stuff yeah. is gone. And I said to him, we've got some really powerful scenes coming up, especially with my daughter. I would love if I feel on the moment to be able to really let go and you know, if that means cry or anything like that, yeah, I would like yeah. to do that. Gerald can be a strong, he's a leader in the society. So he can be strong cause he has to be, but I want him to emote and they were totally on board. And I thought, this is amazing. I get to do that as opposed to, you know, man up, be the strong guy, you know, die early. Yeah. yeah. So that was, is like my dream. The fact that I got to do that and they said, go crazy. Whereas again, some showrunners or, especially showrunners that actually run the direction of the show, they might be like, no, no, we didn't write him for to be like that. You got to be strong, man. You know, keep him strong. At the end of the day, you got to, you got to do what they say. So you try to put it in there, but. Uh, It's funny because I actually want to talk about being a man, but that's as good a segue as any. So I think the, the world's changed in, in a lot of ways, right? From like our dad's generations and the generations before. And your husband, you're a dad, you're an actor you're out there in the public eye portraying different different shades of of being a man, right? In 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 the character that you're playing. Do you think that we are we still forcing ourselves to be too like narrow in the way that we look at like men just have to be strong, they have to be the tough guy, you can't show emotion and all of that? Or are we are we finally starting to allow ourselves the the room to breathe on that? Cuz like we're human. Yeah. I, I like watching what you post because you remind me of me in a lot of your thinking, it seems. And in my circle of friends and acquaintances, I would say, yeah, things have changed a lot. 
But then I'm constantly reminded by things like Twitter and stuff like that. And in, in the broader world, I wonder sometimes, like, what is going on with these people? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a man anymore, right? I think you can be a strong person. You can vote. You can be a strong person and love your kids so much. Yeah. So I don't know. I My own experience, again, with my people, and I think they got a wide spectrum, it, it's refreshing to see that uh, guys are doing certain things. I, I even see that reflected in household chores and stuff like right. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at advertising, you're going to think that, that women, that they clean everything and they do this, and guys fix cars. Yeah. And I mean, there's still an aspect to that, but you know, I'm doing a lot of the cleaning at home. I'm mm-hmm. doing at least 50-50, yeah. and I'm yeah. cleaning toilets and all yeah. that kind of stuff. You never see me reflected in the commercials. Sure, you know, yeah, yeah. Which is fine, but it's uh, the world has changed. You know, the attitudes are definitely changing. And and again, when I see you post and what you write about your relationship with your kids, especially your daughter, that's an amazing thing. Um, and I do hope that that men going forward, like I was saying about Utopia Falls, it'd be nice to think that men can be still men, but they're allowed to emote. They're allowed to, you know. Not that I want to be a a world of crybabies, but at the same point, when there's something to cry about, the man should not be afraid Mm -hmm. or should be ashamed, you know, oh, geez, what an idiot I am. I can't believe I cried at a funeral or something like that. Right, yeah. You know, because again, where I grew up in Oshawa and Orno, all those places, a lot of people worked at the motors and they would die. Uh, It always seemed like a few days after they retired, you know, it was later on a movie. And I think, again, it's part of that bottled up man, you know, stress and it did their job. And then all of a sudden they have a life change event, which is basically not working. And their body just goes all wacky because they've had all these years of stress bottled up. You know, I, I really hope that changes. I seem to have a, uh, this pattern of having brilliant Jeffs on, on the podcast. Cause, uh, (laughs) the other Jeff that that I had on Jeff Pereira, I mean, his, his backstory, and I'm not going to do it full justice, but he came from a household where his father was physically abusive with his mother. And he, as he grew up, he realized that was not the way to be a man. But yet we're constantly bombarded. I, mean, I, mem- I remember growing up and even now still hearing, you know, things like man up, be tough, boys don't cry and all that. Mm-hmm. You hear less and less of it maybe directed at you, but you see it out there in the zeitgeist still to to an extent, whether it's advertising like you're saying or what have you. And, and he talks a lot about how when guys are young and, you know, they want to get fit. They start going to the gym. We start exercising like these physical muscles, right? But women from a very early age, just because of the way that they're wired and the way that like society kind of cultivates it, they're like exercising their emotional muscles, like Mm -hmm. from the get-go, right? They know how to confront and deal with things to an extent. At least, I don't know if it's better or worse, but they deal with it differently and it's okay for them to do so. And we don't do that. And so, like you're saying, like you go from being really tired to dead within a week. Well, that bottled up over years, if not decades in that person. And they never, they could never talk about it with somebody. So we definitely need to move past it. I share, I think, similar types of friend circles in that the people that we know, all great guys, great women, they have a great sense of balance amongst themselves. Mm. Like it's, this isn't a thing to do because I'm a man or because I'm a woman, But then I look out at the worlds of media and advertising, like you're saying, the message hasn't changed. Every now and then you might see a token nod to it, but it's still guys in cars. I haven't seen a a toilet cleaner that was targeted at men. There's an RBC ad, I think right now, with a guy doing yoga. That's about the closest thing I've seen in the last maybe six months. Yeah. We we seem to want to cling on to this like era for some reason. I don't know why that is. Yeah. I mean, if, if advertising is a barometer, then we're in trouble. (laughs) 
<laughs> really, I'm only, yeah. not only that, but that men are dumb. You see that so often, yeah. you know. Like that's why I don't go for commercials. I haven't gone for years, and one of the part of the reason was is that it's a lottery when you get it, but. The portrayal of men in so many commercials is that, oh, dad, you're so dumb. And I've heard women say that they hate that because it makes them feel like they're dumb themselves for marrying such a dummy. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, that's that's not how it is. But I'm going off on a tangent there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I I think that we are slowly changing. And I, and I see this culturally, culturally, too. I mean, like in different cultures. Mm-hmm. I. I'll never forget when I when I went and I worked after music was done. I worked at uh, a gas company, so I got to go in people's homes and really with the guard down, and it it helped me learn about different cultures that I didn't have exposure to. Mm. And it was cool that I saw basically the bottom line is everybody from all walks of life basically just want to get on with their life, and they want to raise good children that sort of thing. It was nice because I really did see that new spectrum of like you know everybody's different but the same, right? I mean, I mean, the average person. But, I mean, I think that even in places where, say, women, well, there's places where women would be considered a second-class citizen, even right. those places are starting to open up. Yeah. And men's ideas about them is changing. But that w- would also mean that they'd have to have different conversations about themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's got to be happening. Or conversations at all. Yeah. Oh, that's right. true, yeah. too. Yeah, because, I mean, well, I'm not going to talk about that. Yeah. That's not a man thing to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is changing. It's definitely, I think our kids are going to inherit a different world. Right. And, and hopefully it's a good one. Hopefully we're on the right path. But it's a slow change. And I and I think that you and I are lucky because, again, because of, I think we're pretty open-minded people. We are probably surrounded by a lot of open-minded people. But, you know, I'd say there's still a lot of old school men mm-hmm. behavior. And there must be because you see these polls that come out. And sometimes I'll scratch my head and think, I don't know. Anybody, Anybody like that. Like that, yeah. 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 Like, but, you know, oh, that's a man's job. And a woman should be cooking dinner. And blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't know anybody. Yeah, yeah. There's no one in our in our circle that I can think of that would even uh, even hint at something, uh, something like that. But then, but I think we also tend to gravitate to people that we find agreeable yeah. to, right? Like, I'm not going to go out and look for friends that think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be completely controversial, but I think one of the most insidious things on TV on this topic is Peppa Pig. Because I think Daddy Pig, honestly, the guy's a complete buffoon. He can never do anything. The only time he ever did something right is when he saved uh, Mummy Pig from the blueberry bush. That was the only time. And it's funny, It's funny, but not funny, because even the kids kind of hint at it. They, they, they're kind of almost out of the Peppa Pig phase, but they kind of hint at it, like how daddy, you're kind of like, you know, daddy pig and mommy's like mommy pig. Because I mean, look, I do stupid things sometimes. I also put my foot in my mouth sometimes. Like mm-hmm. that's just, you know, I'm a, I'm a thinking, functioning human being that's imperfect. But the archetype of dads in particular on TV is quite often that they're kind of this bumbling person that can't quite figure out things. And that's also true of us, but there's also other perspectives, but you don't see that enough. So I find every time that daddy pigs on there, I'm like, damn you, you're sending us back. <laughs> yeah. It's just, well, it's just again, like the advertising guys too. You know, there seems to be either the, the cool James Bond guy driving a car or a dumb dad. Right. You know? So push aside being a man for a second, you're, a dad and that to a dad to a daughter. Did anything change for you? Like in your perspectives on the world or were you, are you the exact same person now as you were before? No, I'm, 
I've always been sort of like I am, I think, to a degree. But yeah, her arrival changed everything at the same time. Maybe it intensified certain things and beliefs. Even for example, you know, I, I I'm a little older, so the world was different when I when I grew up. Mm-hmm. And maybe those those stereotypical norms were a lot more in place. But I'll never forget the moment when when it was brought to my attention about how women make less money, and it broke my heart for my mom. Like it really mm-hmm. did. I remember even as a kid, yeah. being very very blown away by that, and I mean sad blown away. I could not understand. And my reasoning at the time too, I remember thinking or saying to somebody, "How the hell?" Could you, as a person who loves your wife or loves your mom or your daughter, push that kind of thing forward? Mm-hmm. Like, how could you do that with a conscience? And then look at your, your wife across the table from you, who you love, you know, or your daughter, you want her to have more. So I've always had those. But again, when my daughter was born, it just, it just, um, it made everything maybe that much more intensified. I want so much for her. Mm-hmm. to have a, a a better world. I want her to, to have the opportunities. I want her to I want her to have rhinos in the world. All these things sure, that, yeah, that I always yeah. cared about, I want them more now. I want I want that stuff. It's important for me. So I think that people a, a lot of people say things, you know, having a kid maybe changes them completely. I don't personally know anybody like that. Like they were probably already sort of wired to be a certain way and then the kid just amplified it like you put it. What I found when when my daughter was born she's a couple of years younger than yours. It puts, uh, like, I'm, I'm a, an eternal optimist. I want the best for the world, ideally for everybody. No one person needs to have everything. Everyone should be able to be treated with respect, all those sorts of things. But when she was born, it put a timeline on it for me, which was different because it had always been an abstract thing about the future. Mm-hmm. But you know, she's already eight and it feels like a blink of an eye. What a cool thing you just said there. That's actually a really good point. Well, in in eight years, she's going to be 16. She was just joking about how every three years, her plan is, her plan is to have every third birthday is going to be with family um, and the other two are going to be with friends. That's her plan right now. <laughs> Who knows? So she said, so, so 12 is going to be next one with you. And then she goes on to 18. And then my wife and I look at each other. She's like, okay, she's going to spend her 18th birthday with us. Okay, well, let's, let's make a note of that. But like I'm 41. She's not that far from being 41. 41 is very perceptible in my own lifetime. So then I think about what will the world be like and what would I want the world to be like for her? And I, it's not going to be perfect, but I mean, at the very least, she should be able to like just earn whatever she can on her own merits and not start behind because she's a girl or has a certain color of skin or any any number of those things. Mm-hmm. And with having a son and a daughter, it's actually been really, it's been quite a maneuver on a daily basis to say, look, you're a girl. Don't let anybody ever tell you you can't do something because you're a girl. That's the whole reason I wrote that spoken word piece, baby girl, even though Mm -hmm. she was like, why'd you write this daddy? I'm like, because someone's going to tell you you can't do stuff because you're a girl. So empower, empower, empower. And I think as a generation of parents, I think we're all doing quite a good job of empowering our daughters. Mm -hmm. And girls are getting further ahead in school. They're doing better in post-secondary. Their careers are, are taking off and everything. But with our boys, at the same time as we're telling girls, you can do anything we're not necessarily saying the same thing in the same way to boys. And we're also saying, and you also got to figure out how you show up as a man. So it's like, I don't want to create a difference, but I know they're going to both have a slightly different experience just because they're a boy and a girl. And they're also hearing the same lessons at the same time. We're trying to tailor them 
individually. And I mean, it's not that it's really difficult. I just don't know what it's going to turn out to be like 10 years from now when they internalize some of those things. I think though that you can't help that there is differences. Mm-hmm. I think they're even, you know, wired into the brain. There's certain things uh, that yeah. are just in your genes. And I think we need to celebrate the differences of what makes us unique, you know, as a person, but also as a, as a male or female. Yeah. There's, there's great traits that both can be celebrated by. Um, my thing is more, I want, I want equal opportunities, right. that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's been stymied. I'll, I'll never forget, too, uh, I was doing a documentary about uh, Warren Buffett. And here's an old guy. I mean, right. He's in his 80s or 90s now. Yeah, early 80s, I think. But he was on record a long time ago saying, imagine what our world would be like if we hadn't uh, held the uh, half of it behind. You know? And it, You won't believe... Uh, after this, I'm going to, I'm going to play you the spoken word piece I just wrote for oh, really? National Women's Day. Holy shit. This is, this, this is crazy serendipity here. That's funny. Sorry. Continue. Well, no, that's funny. Cause this stuff happens to me all the time. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it, it's, I guess I was trying to say that, uh, something to do with Warren Buffett. Um, what was I talking about? I love, I love his, his, uh, his idea. Equal that opportunity. Equal opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, just because you know, one group is different. They should be allowed. But at the same point, I'm a big believer in that people are attracted to the other p- things that other people have. Mm-hmm. In my case, there's cer- certain things that I love about women that they do that I wouldn't ever want them to change. Right. You know, it's just that femininity and that sort of thing. And I think there's certain men's stuff too that are good. It's it's a weird thing, right? It's, it's hard because you, you want a female leader to be strong, mm-hmm. but you also want her to be a female. Yeah. You want to be who she is. And it's the same for guys. You want a guy to be strong. But again, that's what I liked about Gerald is that he was the leader in the society, but he still could emote. Um, right. Ideally, that's what we have. We don't have that now, I don't think. Uh, you know, if oh, a, certainly not. You yeah. know, if a, a leader starts crying, then, you know, this, the memes come out and everything right. else like that. So, Equality, which everyone talks about, and I think many, if not most people, want equality. But equality doesn't mean same. And this is, is, this is one of those other nuanced conversations like you and I were talking about earlier. Just because men and women can be equal doesn't mean that there aren't differences and differences don't mean better or worse, mm-hmm. right? There are certain things, I think, through evolution, both cultural and biological, that women are, not every individual, but as a group are hardwired for. And then you add nature and nurture into the mix and things change. Same thing for, for men. And that doesn't make it better or worse, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we should be able to celebrate differences. Us, us coming to an agreement that we're equal doesn't mean that we're the exact same person. Yeah. That's just stupid. But yet it seems on so many, on so many fronts, that's where we've arrived at. Everything turns into this binary black or white, left or right type construct. And you can't be both all about equality and celebrate differences for some reason. I don't mm-hmm. know why people have a hard time wrapping their heads around that. Maybe because it's a new thing. I've often wondered that too, right? Um, maybe because people can't get their heads fully wrapped around the changes that have happened so quickly. Hmm. The world has changed a lot. The thinking has changed. Uh, there's so many different movements that are on right now. Uh, things that are acceptable or becoming acceptable that wouldn't have been 10 years ago. Right, yeah. So maybe we're just at the emphasy of figuring out how how that all fits together. And 
like the the old pendulum saying that maybe certain things have swung so far mm. that it, it's out of all whack. But once we get more to the center of it, we'll realize that you can be different and equal and this, and we can celebrate this without it being that we're patronizing or tarnishing something else, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that's that in the case anyways. Right. I, we're Obviously, we're evolving all the time as a society, as people, as a species. So... Yeah, maybe maybe we just have a little bit more to go before we can feel fully comfortable, hopefully in our lifetime. Yeah, hopefully. The social media in particular has demonized to such an extent today, and I think for a lot of valid reasons. But if you think about the music industry before, the first music industry would have just been folk music, you know, someone with like a, a harp, you know, somewhere in in Europe or, you know, bongo somewhere else, you know, just playing to the few people that were around them to eventually people coming to cities. And then, you know, fast forward to the 20th century, you've got this label system, but because there's a scarcity of, until the digital economy, there was just scarcity. There was scarce shelf space. There's only 24 hours in a day. There's only so many channels. You can only put out, so much stuff because mm-hmm. it takes up all the space. And so you'd have to fit within a few paradigms and you'd have to choose from that. As soon as, you know, Napster came out, it basically blew the door open and showed that, wait a second, you can have an infinite number of different options and potentially all of them can be profitable and you'll find an audience for everything. And so now we have probably more of a fragmentation of all these genres of music and different styles and indie, everything from like, you know, top 40 pop down to indie stuff in every conceivable style in every part of the world. That's actually really exciting because we're, I think we're complex, nuanced people and we don't just want chocolate or vanilla or strawberry, right? There's Mm -hmm. all these other flavors that we could have. So I, I think the web has allowed for that to happen, but it's brought some other baggage along the way as well. So but it's, it, I, I think this is the most, this is probably the best time to have ever been alive in well, history. I agree 100%. Right? You reminded me of uh, something I was thinking about earlier we were talking about, is that with the technology and the kids, I remember in 95 area was when the internet sort of became a more of a mainstream thing. Right. And as someone who constantly was always, you know, who is that actor? Who are they? What is that? What is this thing? What is that? I was really always inquisitive and I spent a lot of time in libraries. The fact that you could go on your computer at the time and pull up uh, my favorite racing team from Germany and find out stuff or something about a germ at my fingertips was mind-blowing. Right. You know? And it did open up stuff. I'll never forget putting in Microsoft Encarta, which was this right. floppy yeah, I remember disc. Encarta. Remember? Yeah. yeah, you put it in. The first thing, uh, it plays a bunch of music. And one of them was uh, uh, this song by the Swan Silvertones. And... I always had a thing. I liked certain gospel, mm-hmm. but I couldn't believe what I was hearing. This, these guys were from the fifties and forties and fifties, I think. And the this, this singer, the main singer in, in that group, was on a different level. And right. to this day, he's still one of my favorite singers that probably nobody's heard of. But man, and then it got into uh, I don't say his name right, Prokofiev, uh, Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. the, the big march there. I remember hearing that, and I remember as a kid hearing it. But also, it's like my mind. It was totally expanded and open to that. And to this day, I still love that stuff. And it made me want to do more just because of the technologies available. I, I can't imagine being a musician right now in that, though, because the, the normal system of how you did it, which was a lucky thing if you got that far, um, at least had a system to it. Now right. it seems open season. You could become a YouTuber, yeah. famous singer, or you could... There's just so many ways to do it that how do you break through the zillions of sort of semi-professional, but pretty decent to not to really professional. 
Um, I mean, you've got studios now everywhere too that can produce things right. for, for next yeah. to nothing compared to the old days. So, yeah, well, I think it's been a, a case of the, that rising tide lifts all boats because before in the studio system, like you'd have to be an outstanding musician, you'd have to be in the right place at the right time and whatnot, and then you make it. But for every one person that made it, you know, a thousand other people never made it anywhere. Yeah. And now we're in a place where there are still a handful of people who make it, you know, in air quotes. But then there's a whole bunch of people that are maybe making like 30, 40, 50, 100,000 a year just doing this, you know, the thing that they love to do. They're not household names. They maybe have a small following in some region of the Midwestern US or whatever it is, but they're making a living doing something that they love. And that would not have been an option for them at any point in history. Yeah, right? it's which true. Is, which is actually pretty exciting. I mean, at the same time, I think we've, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the pendulum because I think we've swung in another way because I feel like we've lost the tastemaker, a true DJ or a true tastemaker that introduces you to something and says, hey, you should check this out. It's really cool. And you can trust them. Yeah, and you can trust them. I think that's more important now than ever because there's more terrible music being made today than ever and there's more good music perhaps in terms of volume being made today than ever. But if you just leave it to, you know, a handful of sites to promote to you, you'll only hear the same five or six songs over yeah. and over. You won't hear the other 10 million that were just released this week. Where do you, where do you go? Where do you find all your good music? Historically, it had been friends, honestly. Even though yeah, like, I'm, I'm a musician, me as a, as a person that discovers new stuff that would resonate with me, for whatever reason, that's not been my thing. Every now and then I will accidentally stumble on something that's really good. But it usually comes down to, um, you know, tastemakers. Like now it's my wife. More often than not, she'll just hear something. You got to hear this. You got to check it out sort of thing. Or other friends who are musicians and friends even who are not musicians. I found the most influential tastemakers for me were people who were not musicians. Mm -hmm. They just were curious and they liked good music. That was it. And like, you should check out this and you should check out that. And then I would have had no idea where to begin to even find them in the first place. But now they've become like parts of the soundtrack of my life. Well, so. and it's so, so much easier to find this stuff. I'm, I'm constantly blown away. Um, there's been, what do you call those things? Earworms over the years. I'd say maybe 12, 15 of them mm-hmm. that would drive me nuts over the years. And then I would go on the internet, this wonderful tool. Yeah. And I honestly, I'm talking, I've cumulative hours spent looking for stuff, tr- little things. Okay. I remember there was this one lyric or there was one thing. And then, um, what do you call it? Uh, those apps came out. Shazam and that. Shazam. Yeah. Holy yeah. smokes, man. Even sometimes humming them, you can get, if, if it's a very, um, you know, standout melody, but I've managed to find all those tunes except for maybe one or two now through Shazam and stuff like that. One of them, I remember I was on a honeymoon and, uh, I remembered hearing this amazing piece of music that I loved and it stuck with me forever. And somehow I remembered that, wait a minute, they played it on a cruise when we were on the, on the river of Cien, I think you call it Cien. Uh, we were on the cruise, it was freezing cold and they played it. And I remember saying how beautiful it was. And I thought, I have a video of that. I remember running to my thing, no grabbing way. the disc, put yeah. it in there, put Shazam up there, and all of a sudden, boom, It's I finally figured out what it was. And it was like a magic moment. Like this, Everything is available now for us. I'm going to sound like an old man saying this, but I feel like, you know, kind of like we were talking about with boredom earlier, I think you and I can appreciate that because you know how much labor it would have taken to even try and find the song before. Good luck. But then we can appreciate the value of it in someone who didn't kind of grow up through that, wouldn't really know. But at the same time, when you did finally find that song through your own means and your own search, the level of gratification of that was like other level, right? Now, knowing that Shazam likely has that wave file somewhere on a server, 
Uh, it's exciting, but it's not as exciting. So I'm, I feel like there's like a generation of people like just denied of the joy of just searching for stuff on their own. Right? Oh. Like I used to get the, um, I grew up out West and my parents used to get the, uh, the one a week Encyclopedia Britannica from Safeway. Oh, yeah. so we had like the full collection at home. Every now and then when I was bored, because why would you read a encyclopedia if you weren't bored? I would just kind of pick up one of the letters and I'd flip through it and I'd learn stuff as a result of it. And then, you know, eventually you get to the web and everything's right there. But I used to actually like accumulating knowledge and information and sort of being that person that you ask for stuff or knowing who to ask about a certain topic and whatnot. And I think that we were like flexing parts of our brain that perhaps are a little bit more dormant now. We're probably turning on other parts of our brain, but we're evolving so quickly, like you said. Well, there's just, there's so much information. I, I used to like in encyclopedias, actually. We never had them in our family, but I always wish we did because I'd read other kids. But I was always inquisitive. And now again, with the internet, you know, you don't, unfortunately, too many people use it for YouTubers, you know, doing stupid things on there, like with balloons or something. But there's so <laughs> much information. If you start yeah. surfing, it, it, you can, you know, I, I got to remember to go to bed tonight because I can't get off this thing because I can't believe I'm finding this information. The other thing that is really cool that you sort of touched on is that the, even the most obscure things that you think are, there's no one else that within 500 miles that even like this, you get on there and you find there's a million hits on these things because right. one of them would be ASMR. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's basically sounds. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people out there that love sound so much that it gives them what they call tingles. Like the hair on the back of your neck right. will go up or you just you feel like you're being in a massage. And I don't know how to describe it, but I thought that I was a weirdo since I was a kid. I remember on Sesame Street, they used to have this little segment. It was like, listen to the sound of your feet while you're walking. And then listen to this. And it was all these sounds. And I remember I'd sit there and go, oh. And, I, and I, honestly, I couldn't understand. Why do I like that sound? It's a chalkboard. But I'd be like, oh. And uh, I remember going on for the first time on YouTube and finding not just thousands of these sites, but each one had like, you know, million hits, a thousand, whatever. But there was a lot. And there was a lot mm-hmm. of them and they're making good money. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, it's like even if you think you're the most unique person in the world, chances are you're not. You're, it's a big world. Yeah. yeah. Every every time I get a really good idea, I'll sit in the kitchen table, we'll say something, and Anastasia will be like, oh my God, that's so funny. And I'm like, I guarantee there's going to be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a thousand hits. Yeah, know? there's some random community f- for that. Like I, um, <laughs> we're talking about uh, Dark Matter, uh, my EP. So there's, this whole EP was like a dark dubstep album, but using a lot of really organic acoustic stuff. So I have um, one of my really good friends uh, who's a master musician, Cassius Khan, playing the tabla, but playing in in a first and fifth, the two different notes at the same time over a really dark dubstep beat that's built around an Indian mantra, which is about the destruction of the universe, and then samples of Yoda in there. (laughs) Because if you actually go back, and I met, I actually had Roger Christian on, the guy who invented the lightsaber and worked with George Lucas. George Lucas actually studied myth very closely and he understood the hero's journey. He understood that entire arc. If you look at what the Sith and the Jedis are in Star Wars, it is a modern take, almost an entire modern interpretation of what's in Hindu or Vedic scripture with you'll have demons or Rakshas will do training and meditation for like Ravan who like at Diwali who has the 10 heads he actually meditated for 10,000 years in the myths these are not factual stories but he 
he meditates for 10,000 years to gain power. And then at the 10,000 year mark, he basically gets this boon. So he becomes incredibly powerful. So there's no one on earth that can defeat him, right? Mm -hmm. So then the Lords basically have to send someone down to defeat him. But much like a Sith trains and uses the dark side of the force for their own means is the, the counterpoint to that's the Jedi. You have that same thing. So anyways, this track, Darth Veda, which is a play on Darth Vader and the Vedas that Vader comes from, is a really obscure track of dubstep, dubla, and Yoda. This track blew up, but it blew up in Russian forums of all places. Somebody posted it in some Russian forum and it just took off there of all things. And I, I was like, where are all these people coming from suddenly? There was a pocket for that. I did another remix. It was like a mashup of the Joker's theme mm-hmm. from uh, The Dark Knight with some really dark dubstep stuff and some Indian like female vocals. That one took off, I think it was in Serbia somewhere. Isn't that funny? And it, it was like, I didn't, I didn't market to these people. I didn't even know people were listening to this stuff over there. But you will find a community for anything. And I think that's the thing that's exciting. Now, we, our community doesn't just have to be a few square miles around us. It can be anywhere in the world. Yeah, that, I 100% agree. Like that, That's the beauty of the technology for a band or an artist right now. Yeah. You know, like the, the sky's the limit. If you can get it out there and cut through all that noise. That's the thing, though. How do, I'm always impressed but also amazed by how things go viral. And again, you obviously went viral in Serbia. Mm-hmm. Why? Who knows? You know, there was whatever whatever led up to that. And that's the thing, though. I, I, I see how certain Instagram, I'm big on Instagram because right. I love taking pictures. More because I have to because what I do, like, it's important now. But I'll see how certain people blow up on there. But I have no idea why because I look at their posts and it's just, you know, a selfie them by a doc and a selfie them. There's nothing unique about it. Yeah, yeah. But they blow up, mm-hmm. you know. So I, but, you know. Good for them, I guess. They figured something out. Well, I, th- I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I want to get back to the ASMR thing for a second. And I think this is probably where something else we have in common. I think the world is beautiful, but it's beautiful in all the most unexpected places. Like I see a, a lot of your, your photos on Instagram. Some of them would be to most people an otherwise ordinary moment. And when you put a photo up, you're putting up, I'm assuming, you're putting up a photo of the way you saw that moment. Yeah. You, you saw you saw a beauty in that moment that would have been it would have gone over the heads of you know a million other people, in the same way that a certain sound might do that to you. Because I think if we actually just tune into the moment, this stuff it just it shows up. Mm-hmm. Maybe not with sounds, but music definitely. I, I have that feeling. I find with photography, it's the same thing for me too. Like the first time I went to India as an adult, I was thirty two, and I hadn't been since I was nine. And India is about as is almost a as different as you could possibly imagine. It's forward thinking, it's stuck in the past. It's all of those things all at once. And I was taking pictures of everything. The dog on the street, the old man with the cane, the random palm tree or the bells in like a temple and whatnot. And when we were there with family, to them, it was just kind of comical. You know, I'm Indian, but I grew up here. I'm there and I'm taking pictures of all these random nonsensical things. But in like tropical climates, the way the light, there's a certain way the sun diffuses through the smog or the clouds or Mm -hmm. whatnot and the way it hits things and the colors are already so vibrant and and so like alien in a certain way everything was beautiful to me and I couldn't explain it to anybody who wasn't a photographer who didn't understand that this glass sitting here with the way it's casting this shadow and that pattern framed a certain way there's something magical about that 
I think we're all creative, but we're all too busy to actually tap into that, right? Everyone would notice it if they just gave themselves the time. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Although I do think there are certain people that they are just wired differently. My dad, you know, for a second, if you bring him into something, he'll appreciate it. Oh, that's really cool. That's really mm-hmm. neat. And he goes back because he, his life is, you know, gardening or whatever he does, right? Sure. That's his thing. But he has the potential. He just doesn't, he, it won't work for him. But I, I, yeah, I think if you just take the time, there's, there is so much beauty around. That's mm-hmm. why I don't post a lot, but I usually post things that mean something to me or if I just really like how it turned out. But yeah, so many times, you know, I just, I remember uh, I posted one a while ago where I was just walking down the street and the reflection of the people was moving. And I you just get that mm-hmm. weird feeling. This is neat. There's something neat. I don't know how, hopefully I can figure it out and take a few thousand pictures because it's sure. digital yeah, yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. And then you, you know, you just do it and then hopefully it resonates with people. That reminds me, actually, my dad. Uh, my dad always had a good camera, and this, I try to explain that to my daughter. And that you know, money was always tight, so mm-hmm. you couldn't take a lot of pictures. Right, you know, there was like twelve, what, something like. Sometimes you'd have a bigger roll, but it was like twelve, fifteen shots. And you, first, you got your permission to go take a picture of the beautiful sunrise with the ice all in the lake or something like that. And once you got that, you sat there for a long time adjusting everything because you yeah. had one shot, yeah. and it better be good, and you better not drop that camera. Yeah. You know, but and you won't even know if it was good until you go to exactly, exactly. Yeah. I was trying to explain it again as well. It's like in, in those days, it was like I think he, we, my dad would send it away, so like yeah. a week later, it would come back from whatever the pharmacy that he, he would take it to, and it cost a lot of money, so it better be good. You know, I, I just I laugh now. Yeah, so I, I think on that, your dad and I have a lot in common because I was shooting a lot of. I think I got the the camera thing, the bug initially from my mom. She's documented our childhood really well, and I end up getting like I took one of her old cameras at one point, and I, I was shooting on like black and white film, like not a fancy camera, but like, you know, black and white and color and stuff. I'd just wander off into the forest and take like 24 photos. Lucky you. Like think about every one of those. And then you'd either send it away or drop it off at Black's or Kodak shop or whatever. And you get processed. Eventually Costco shows up and does all that. But like every photo I took, I knew was one of 24 photos Mm -hmm. and I'm going to try and make it right. And then I'm going to get it back and just hope cross fingers that it turns out right. And now here we can just take as many as we, yeah, uh, as we want. It's too much now. I've had 62,000 photos on my, <laughs> my I do 62,000 on there. Now I, 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 I haven't understand. changed it in a while. I haven't like taken yeah. them later on a cloud and whatever. I else. understand. But I mean, you go back and you think to yourself, okay, I, I need to get rid of some of these, but then you'll see there's like, 20 shots of the same door that I mm-hmm. wanted I wanted because you know you don't have to worry. I remember I went to Spain with a good friend of mine. Uh, he lives there now and he's a he's a photographer. He's shot for National Geographic and everything. Sure. I learned a lot from him. He's an ma- amazing guy, Mike Randolph. But uh, I remember him laughing at me, you know, cuz again, I had my camera out and he's like, "You don't have to take so many shots." And like, "But I can." You know, it's yeah, like yeah. but he's he's old school, you know. He's like, "You know, just line it up and take a good shot." And I was, "No, no, I got to get the right one." Yeah, but, but then you're like I said, you're you've got 500 uh, hard drives at home now, trying to hold all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Again, it just kind of comes back to just seeing the beauty. And I think like you know whether it's your dad with gardening or you with sound or, or me with something else. Like this is actually something that I think is really important to be able to pass down. You know, I see a lot of your posts are you know their landscapes and stuff, but a lot of the stuff is you know you with your daughter and whatnot. And I can say for a fact, you know, a lot of people post stuff with their kids and I don't know them personally. Your dad game is strong online, but your dad game is definitely strong in real life because I see you guys all the time together doing stuff. So it is real and you're capturing that moment. And when I see you spending time with your daughter, when I'm spending time with the kids, when my wife and I are spending time with them and we're doing experiences, 
part of the reason for that is just so that we can introduce them to an experience that they can then go on and have themselves, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that if you point out, hey, you know what, you should check out that little creek over there. It's really nice. And then someone goes there and they have an experience and they see a nice sunset or, you know, something hilarious happens or whatever it is. It opens their mind to the fact that there's something to be had there and they go off and create their own stuff. Yeah. And I find that we've we've just gotten so busy with being online, buying stuff that we kind of forget to actually just spend time doing even something simple as riding a bike or going for a walk or whatever it is. Because when you step out of your door, adventure happens automatically. Yeah, I agree 100%. That's a huge part of what we do. Um, when the weather becomes nice, we ride almost every day. Mm-hmm. Partly because, like you're saying, I wanted to experience things, but also because it's enjoyable. We talk. Um, whenever I can get her just gabbing away, I'm the happiest guy in the world. So. Right. But yeah, we, we're, we're experiencing things and we're seeing things and we talk about the neighborhood and the changes and you know, whatever nature. That's why we hike a lot too. Of course, you're seeing beautiful scenery, but you're opening up their, their minds to different things and mm-hmm. seeing things differently. And I'm noticing too that she's starting to pick up a lot of these different things that I loved. And I mean, I can't expect her to be me, but at the same point, I'm so happy that she likes these, mm-hmm. I want to say deeper things. I mean, kids will always love, you know, cartoons. Sure, or that. Yeah, yeah. But when, when you start seeing that influence going in, that, that she's actually thinking about maybe dif- di- deeper issues or something more about space. I mean, we, I, I <laughs> yeah. forced Cosmos on her since she was oh, a little yeah. kid. And Same I, with the kids. She they was good it. about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think they understood half of it probably. Right. But then as they get older, they want to go back. So we're rewatching it again. And it's so cool to see that, um, you know, she could do a lot of things with her life, but she actually wants to spend some time down in the basement with dad watching, uh, a science-based show yeah. on things. I, that could, there's nothing more satisfying than that. Oh, totally. I, I, I did this to you, you know, but it's a good thing, you know. My, my son will, will school any five-year-old on black hole theory as a result of that stuff. I, I like to write. Most of my music has now ended up kind of morphing into spoken word and poetry with music as the canvas behind it. And I find I don't write when I sit still all that well. I'm usually writing in motion if I'm on the subway or walking or going somewhere only because something that I see or hear something that happens will just trigger it. And because the brain, the human brain is so crazy, just thinks laterally, like, you know, maybe I'll see a dog slip on a banana peel and that'll trigger the next line, which will be the birth of another piece of poetry. Like this one, I'm, uh, I was just mentioning that I'm writing for women's day. It's literally about that same idea. Imagine, how immense the mountain of human achievement would be if we had let women into the game from mm-hmm. the beginning. But that came off of one line around women have only been in the entire arc of human history. Women have only shown up in the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. And that arc came from, I don't know what it was. Something was passing by a building and it just made like this trailing light on the building, just the way it reflected. So it went from arc to arc of history to imagine where we would be if we let her in the game. Because the external stimulus around it just, it triggers thoughts and then you kind of internalize and it comes out in some different way. And so for that reason, I think it's really important that we, if we're we're fortunate and privileged enough to be able to kind of spend the time with our kids to take them out and just do anything, whatever it is, um, they're going to internalize something from it themselves too. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Uh, it's probably the best thing you can do as well is, is stimulate that, that growth in their minds that they want to, they want to see more. So when you're not there, then they're actually thinking about things as well. 
Right. And that's, again, that's what I was kind of alluding to with her is that she's showing an interest in stuff that I really hoped that I was putting seeds in her to, to think about different things and not just, you know, what typical kids think about, which is nothing wrong with being a kid, by the way. I don't, I don't mean that in a negative way. Kids mm-hmm. need to be kids, but I, you're also building them for the future. And I'm hoping that I've got an inquisitive daughter that, you know, wants to know why certain things are the way they are. Kids are incredible that way. I think that in the world today, that the kids are growing up in. I'm trying to figure out how we find balance when you hear about the crazy polarization in politics and violence or civil war there. Now, next thing you know, there's coronavirus. On a side note, I think coronavirus might be good for film and TV because you're going to Netflix and chill a lot more (laughs) in the next few months, at least, depending on how long it takes before they find a, a vaccine for this. But all of these things are happening and the kids are hearing it. They can't not hear it. Mm -hmm. Do you end up having conversations about any of this stuff? Does your daughter ever come to you and say, do you sense that maybe she's worried about stuff? And how do you guys tackle that? It's funny because I literally was driving yesterday thinking about this, um, what it must be like. Mine sort of goes with it. We've discussed this stuff, but there's only been a few issues here and there where she's seemed really worried. And I've had to sit her down and say, okay, don't worry. You know, it's not like this. She's pretty good that way, but it's got to be hard actually um, because the kids are exposed to everything. And just because they're exposed, it doesn't mean it's the, the right information. You know, the internet's mm-hmm. a cesspool at times. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, you know, she hasn't she hasn't been completely freaked out about, say, coronavirus right now, but coronavirus is the flavor of the week. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I've been saying this for years, and somebody had a graphic out yesterday I was reading just naming all the different things year by year that, we're, that are going to kill us, so that society's going to be ruined or destroyed by. And it's nonstop, it, it, you know, everything from North Korean missiles hitting us to whatever. It's We're going to die constantly. Mm-hmm. And that's something new. I grew up in the Cold War when we would go up north to our cottage. I was a, a creative kid, but that also meant I was bad creative, that I would worry about stuff and make scenarios mm-hmm. and stuff. And I remember when thunder would happen, um, sometimes I would literally think, is that the Russians have had enough of the U.S. and they nuked New York? And is that what I'm hearing? You know, I literally would think stuff like that. So I, I grew up with a fear, but I've the fear is different now. It's a constant. Uh, it's constant, actually. Lyme disease. My kid, oh, my kid was afraid of Lyme, uh, Lyme disease, ticks, to the point that our hikes were being affected because she wouldn't want to go into the woods anymore. Hmm. Um, one of the times, actually, I got a I got a tick on me, uh, so that was funny. I had to hide <laughs> that. I hid that from her because I didn't want her to freak out. My right. brother uh, and my other brother both got ticks on them as well. They got bit. Um, one had to go to the hospital to get it removed. So it's a real thing, but at the same point, and I've never seen ticks like I have, but it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's Lyme disease, just because you get a tick bite doesn't mean you have Lyme disease. Right. But we live in this media fear, you know, let's sell advertising thing. Yeah. Sensitivity so, is like dialed up to 11 at yeah, all times. I, I, I remember, I remember uh, a news report talking about. I forget if I saw it first or we read up after, but we're in Wasaga Beach playing in the surf, and and uh, she's you know choked on some water for a second when she was very young. Of course, you're worried about that, but then you go on the internet just to make sure everything's okay, and you see all these news reports of like the, some sort of I forget it, it's a drowning syndrome where you get a little water in your lungs and you live for you know three four hours and you die because the water's in there. But I remember thinking, man, oh man, I can't believe I'm worrying about this. She's fine. But now I'm like checking 55 sites because of it. Yeah. Well, kids are getting that. So like you said, how do you explain what is real and what's well, not? Well, but, and- but just like right there, you're checking 55 sites. Maybe that's like 110 page views. There's probably 300 ad impressions along the way, right? Like that's not an yeah. accident. Yeah. It's, it, 
I, and, and I'm, we're not alone doing that. I guarantee you, everybody's doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, things aren't as bad as they, I try to tell my daughter that, uh, nine times out of 10, things aren't as bad as they look. Um, yeah, coronavirus would be awful if you get it. And, but it doesn't yeah. mean the chances you're getting it out of 7 billion people and that sort of thing. It, you know, it's like there's, there is one thing though, I think that's even worse than it looks. I don't know why it's not top of mind all the time. Until I'd seen the uh, the man who saved the world, the documentary, the 2014 one, I think it's a, a, a Dutch documentary, but it's about uh, Stanislav Petrov, the Russian intelligence officer who is basically credited with saving the world. Oh, I know you're talking about. Yeah, I, I, I didn't I see the documentary, but that's an amazing story. It's brilliant. It's heart wrenching, and it's probably the most significant story in, I would say human history because we were on the verge of perhaps not existing. We might be a few hundred years before utopia falls. Let me put it that way. Right. If it wasn't for this one guy using his judgment, pure judgment and instinct to not send up a certain set of information that would have totally otherwise resulted in like nuclear annihilation. I was just listening to uh, Sam Harris's podcast. I, I, I love a lot of the stuff that he talks about. Yeah, I forget too. the gentleman's name, but there's a, a guy who's written another book after 10 years about nuclear war and, and the whole situation. I didn't realize there's been a number of times we've come like dangerously close to completely annihilating a few hundred million people on the planet. And everything about the system in the US in particular is designed so that only one man or woman has control over making that call. And the chain of events leading up to it is so like fragile, like JFK averted a huge crisis in his time based on his own judgment against his, you know, the entire team that was in the room, this guy from Russia, that is one existential crisis that I think is very real and yet we don't talk about it. It's no better than it was perhaps a long time ago because it's, it's a button press away. Although I would say things, the relationship was a lot better, unfortunately, Things are changing again. We're, it almost seems like we're in a cold war. And that's something that I've always said that it was amazing that, you know, our kids won't grow up in. Mm-hmm. The problem is now, though, is that we have multiple pro- potential cold wars, you know, yeah. like India, Pakistan, for yeah. example, you know, there's not just one or two players or three players in the, in the bomb war anymore. That's a very scary thing. And yeah, it's funny. We don't talk about that. Yeah. Um, and if, if, if the government was behind all the fear mongering, which, you know, sometimes you read stuff and it's like, well, that's the government doing that. That's the perfect one. All that doesn't make them look good is that, yeah, we, we, we are close to that sort of thing. I don't think there's any time in history where we've had any level of leadership that would have been competent to wield that much power, like that type of a weapon. We're certainly not in that time. I wouldn't trust Trump personally to pick the flavor of the ice cream for a bunch of school kids, right? Like that's too much responsibility for him to have, let alone having this. And then, you you know, you bring up India and Pakistan, great example, or North Korea or whoever else in the mix, you know, the winds change quickly politically and you get one unstable leader in there. And some of these leaders have demonstrated they're unstable enough to wreak havoc on their own people, Mm -hmm. right? So that is one problem anyways, all that to say that I think that we don't perhaps talk and think enough about how we can actually avert better, but everyone's going to die from this thing called life anyways, right? And just because it's in the news cycle constantly, we get anxious about it and we Google 50 different things about it. We're washing our hands 50 times a day, which is great. Is it Purell, uh, the hand sanitizer? Like some of the brands are making a killing along the way too. Well, it must so. be, yeah. I keep waiting for the rise in price for that kind of stuff. Hopefully it doesn't happen. Hopefully. Yeah. 
that's that's the human nature again, right? The you want your Purell, it's going to be like buying cocaine on the market or something like that. <laughs> so, what is next for you? Like, what's got you most excited in life about the next week, year? Personally, it sounds like a goofy answer, but on a personal level, I'm, I'm I just I love watching my family and my my daughter grow. And I, and I mean that. That's uh, one of the things that gives me great pleasure. Um, you know, my, my business is a weird business. It's tough. Um, you know, you never really know what's going to happen. You never know what's going around the corner. Thankfully for voice work, um, things have gone really well for me right now. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And that helps pay the bills and that sort of thing. So, you know, you're not chasing your tail on that. You can think about other stuff. And so that's why I guess I'd say the stuff I'm really looking forward to is just, you know, stuff with my daughter. I'm looking forward to vacations. I'm looking forward to diving, scuba diving mm. with, with her and that sort of stuff. Career-wise, you know, the sky's the limit. You know, right. it might go nowhere. <laughs> I think if I look at things scientifically, I guess, and you look at the patterns, I've always managed to to eke out a living during during this, well, 15 years plus. So... In a way, I'm not totally worried that, you know, I'll never work again. But at the same point, you worry, will I work again? You know, you really don't know what's going to happen. Even though I'm, say, a series regular on a show, that's no guarantee that the work will keep coming in or the offers will keep coming in mm-hmm. um, or that I'll land additions. I mean, I'm, I don't know how many additions I've done even this week and I might not land any of them. It's, it's a weird business. So, Do you find that surprises people? Like, you know, people who watch shows and movies that are outside the industry, like, do you find this the reality behind the scenes of like, you know, the, the hustle that it takes to, does that surprise people? Um, I think they would be surprised if they knew. I think a lot of people really just don't know. Even I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, very close friend of mine was a model and he did one role in his life besides some commercials. He, he was in uh, eyes wide shut with Stanley Kubrick. Okay. Yeah. And like, what a, what a great movie yeah, to, yeah. or a director to, to work with on Amazing, your one yeah. film. But I remember when hearing that, thinking that, um, he must have made like a ton of money on that. And, you know, when you're in a player, the position like that, you don't. You make sort of a daily rate and stuff like that. So a lot of, I find a lot of people that think that if you're an actor, you're rich because you're working. It's not like that at all. But also, like you said, I don't think that – I think sorry, I think a lot of people believe that it's a lot easier than it looks. Now, I probably would have been guilty of that as well. As soon as I got into it, I realized I had so much more to learn. And I still mm-hmm. – I still, I still, for special roles, I'll go and – fork out a lot of money to work with a coach because right. I believe I there's always something I can do. We lose roles sometimes down to 5% or less. You know, like there's a difference between myself and another guy and the, the producers will like us both for all these different reasons, but that one guy had 1% more of something that I didn't have. So, you know, we we're constantly training, we're constantly trying to get better. Mm-hmm. I spend countless hours trying to get stuff down it's hard for me i don't know whether it's the all the concussions i've had over the years honestly <laughs> I, I i honestly i don't know um it's very difficult for me to get lines down um so yeah it's a lot more work than it looks i mm-hmm. i think if more people had my experience they wouldn't get into it now, and i'll be honest with you so many times i just feel like giving up uh the other day i was up two thirty in the morning i think it was by the time i did a self-tape because every time I went to record it, I couldn't remember the, the lines. It's the worst feeling in the world, and that's from hours of trying. So when you work, it's incredible. I'll always remember there was a scene I was doing in an audition, and it was the first time I really felt it where 
Um, I was playing a guard, very minimal lines, and mm. I had a quick dialogue, and it was jets flying over that I had to react. And when I was in that room, it was like I actually saw the trees, the jets when they flew over. I could smell. I'll never forget that feeling of that. It's like as close to acting Zen or something as you could get. Right. And I've had it since, thankfully, but um, that's what you're striving for. Again, it's that high of like, I was I was that uh, Air Force officer that was talking about something when it happened. But to get there, it's hard work. It really is, you know, and you have to put up with a ton of rejection. Sometimes, you know, you'll do 20, 30 additions before you land something and you'll never hear why you didn't land it. If you're lucky, you will. They'll say, you know, they, hopefully they'll say they really liked you, but I've lost roles, good roles actually, to do with your characters over there. I can't say because it's uh, NDAs, but uh, life-changing stuff where mm-hmm. they were nice enough to, to tell my agent that uh, it was between myself and another guy. They loved me as well, but the Australian actor had 500,000 followers on Instagram, and you've got 11 yeah. or whatever it is, you know, and you lose out. But at least at least I knew that. Anyways, at least I knew it was there, but most of the time you don't even hear. Right there, that's a, that's a new development, and I don't think that that's just film and TV because, you know, as I look out to the publishing industry, one of the first things a lot of them are looking for is your existing followers, right? Like yes. everyone's the same reason that a big Hollywood studio banks on an existing franchise or comic book or whatnot, because there's a captive audience already there. They do the same thing in publishing. They'll do the same thing in music. It's kind of everywhere. And so I think it has its merits, but also if you compare it apples and apples, just based on talent or s- screen presence or fit or whatnot, you might be the right person. But now this other metric kind of comes in the way but, you know, that's the world we live in now. It, it really is. And it's it's frustrating. And that's why I got on board so hard with it. I mean, I take it seriously. I, I, if it was just me, I'd probably be taking just photography pictures and I'd put them up there. But I get reminded sometimes, like, uh, there's a lot of landscapes, but there's no pictures of you. You're an actor. You sh- should be promoting yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'll do that and I'll talk about a show. And I mean, it's not that I'm not proud of it, but it's just I'd be more comfortable just You're post- actually busy living life. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but I have I got to do it. So, you know, I put out, I've learned to enjoy it. Like I put out stories on Instagram and I try to have fun with it and maybe show a different side or whatever, or something I'm doing. But, and again, um, it's, I've heard it from other actors as well. There's a, a great actor, Canadian actor named Tony uh, Napo, who had no social media thing at all, really. And, you know, he got told as well. So he suddenly was like, okay, I'm back. I got to get on this, but he's doing it because we're losing out on, and that's another problem too, is in Canada, we don't have the star system U S or even Australia, a place like that. They really embrace obviously their talent and they push them right where historically Canadians have not why, had that. Why do you think that is? Cause that's everywhere. That's music. It's literature. It's acting like we, we're, I don't know. Honestly, we're afraid to, to, it's like, we're afraid to, puff out our chest or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I, I was in the music industry for years right. too. And it, in the minute you said you were Canadian, it was like you became a second tier thing. Oh, they're a Canadian band. Oh, I like that song though. But they're yeah. Canadian. You saw it in the 90s with, um, there was a, research, a big, I don't know, a movement you could say that happened. When it became cool to be Canadian. I used to play with one of the guys, Our Lady Peace. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they were yeah. a big band. Mike, yeah. Mike and I played together for years. And it was kind of cool to see that, you know, here's a Canadian act that's saying they're Canadian, like the Tragically Hip as well. But, right, yeah. but you know, that wasn't a strike against them. Yeah. But, but we had that for years in film and television. Everybody goes down to L.A. when they can and make it there and suddenly, you know, you're cool. But until you do that, I, I, I'd see that even still today, 15 years now, I've been doing a lot of voice work in Canada. And I've been, again, I'm grateful for it. 
but you know, I do a lot. And I guess in that world, I've been well known for it. But the minute I became the voice of something in the U.S., suddenly everybody, you can see it. You walk in a room like, I heard you. You're the voice of this. Now I can't. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a weird thing that you know suddenly that it just elevates you beyond belief because you went to the right. U.S. and you did something. Well, it, it struck me because I've seen in the U.K. for sure. Like when you go to a bookstore or a magazine shop and you look at the magazines that are there, they'll have the U.K. edition of whatever magazine too, but they'll have a lot of their own stuff. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to Australia, but I've heard the same. They have their own community and culture around it and industry and they really kind of build it up and i thought okay maybe if it was just the fact that we're right next door to the u.s and we're like kind of the ignored little brother sort of thing because of proximity we don't take ourselves seriously enough but i'm not even sure it's that because australia is half the population or you know not quite half but like it's a lot smaller than canada the uk is only double canada's population so it's not even just purely a population thing I think maybe partly because we're so geographically dispersed over such a wide range. But I find in even in the communities of like South Asian arts and music and, and whatnot, there's a lot of really great artists doing everything from rock or visual arts or hip hop or, you know, electronic stuff. But until they make it in the UK or now make it in the Bollywood industry, and get recognition there, no one here really takes them seriously. Mm -hmm. For some reason, there's this uniquely Canadian thing that's waiting for the validation of some other arbiter of truth and good taste before we say, that's great. And I think Drake's the only one in the last, in the recent wave that's kind of broken through that. I mean, you've got your, you know, Brian Adams has been doing this thing for years. Rush will always be one of the greatest, no matter how far you go into the future. But there's been very few like that, that just proudly wear it on their sleeve and say, I'm Canadian and this is what I do. Yeah, it's actually nice. It's one of the things when I first heard about Drake was that I liked the fact that he didn't hide it. You know, right. no, I'm, I'm I'm from LA, man. You know, whatever like that. Yeah, yeah. It was like, no, I'm a Toronto guy to six. And yeah, it's, it is cool to see that. But yeah, we, we definitely don't see it. That's not the norm. Do you find um, being in Canada versus being in LA specifically, at least, do you think that that changes the trajectory for an acting career? Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I, I was literally just before here talking with one of my castmates on, on uh, Utopia Falls saying she really needs to get down there for a lot of reasons. And But one of the big reasons is is that she's really peaking. She's doing amazing. And the difference between in Canada and being in L.A. is that, yeah, we have a Canadian television market up here, but a lot of the stuff that's shot up here is American shot up right. here. And if you want to get those, you know, first four or five on the call sheet, those are usually cast out of the U.S. Mm. Um, and that's just the reality of it. I mean, it's it, it, sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. Uh, you know, hopefully if a production comes here and there's like 60 actors on it from top to bottom. Um, a lot In the past, especially, a lot of those dangerous men on balcony roles and stuff like that, right, yeah. you know, where a guy just turns around and says one thing, those are the Canadians and everything else is cast down there. That's the only time Canadians are dangerous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you, you do see, like, you do have opportunities where you can play a more significant role. It's just, it's harder. Whereas if you're down there, you cast with their casting directors. See, that's the weird thing about 
um, the system as well is that you can do a ton of things here, even in American productions. But if you haven't been seen by their people in LA, mm-hmm. it's like you're starting from scratch. Right. Like they'll, they'll recognize it. You've got a very good resume, but you know, you've never been seen by this casting director or all these different people. The producers don't know you. That wasn't shot down there. It's a weird vibe that way. So yeah, you have to, if you want to go to that next level, you have to. Mm-hmm. It's really. I've been down to, I think in the last year, four or five times I was down in LA and I hadn't been for many, many years before that. Didn't really have much interest in going, but I ended up down there for business a bunch of times. And so the podcast for one got picked up on Ruckus Avenue Radio, which is on Dash Radio, the world's largest digital only radio platform. And so when I was there, I met with Sammy Chand, who's the founder of it at one of their events. And, you know, because I spent a little bit of time down there. I ended up meeting so many people. And even though LA is the monster of urban sprawl, you know, at a, at a whole other level, I found people were actually quite approachable. They're good to meet. They actually wanted to meet face to face. They'd spend the time talking. Cause if you're going to take an hour or two hours to get somewhere, you're going to spend the time to actually sit down and talk with people. That's a good point. And I found that people are really actually, once you, if you can crack through that shell of the the clickiness and the circles and the pockets and whatnot, I found people are actually quite warm and I can see why LA does well because one, the money and the infrastructure and the industry is there, but there's also a sense of, I think, creative community. Like everyone's kind of come there to create, whether Mm -hmm. it's creating like a web series or uh, a podcast or the latest blockbuster or whatever it is and because there's creative people together and there's access to money and it can be commercialized you've got all of the secret ingredients right there in one place but people were are more likely to work with someone that they like and they'll only like you if they know you and they'll only know you if they meet you yeah and it seems so obvious in hindsight but after being in LA a few times and and meeting people there I realize oh okay now I understand why this place dominates the planet and B, I understand why people decide to come here. It's kind of hard to do it at this level if you're not here. Mm-hmm. And that, that was just kind of an, an awakening for for me. I mean, you kind of got to be where the action is in some ways. Well, it sounds too, though, that you, you came across what I found, which was maybe you go down there with a preconceived notion from all the things you've watched on television, yeah. like, love you, baby. Yeah, of, yeah. And I know they're out there. I know mm-hmm. they are. But my experience with a lot of different levels of film and television, especially, were really good, genuine people. When I met my my voice agents down there, they're some of the top agents in the world for what they do. And I, I was completely caught off guard. I, I thought they would be like, you know, who is this Canadian dude that's coming down to meet me? And I'll give them two seconds because somebody twisted my arm. And they're the warmest, nicest people. I'm friends with them all now because they're great people. Mm. You know, and again, like it took a while for this. Like, is this a dream? It was like, this right, is not right. the Hollywood I expected. But there's so many other stories I could go on, like the people from the Christmas Chronicles, the, the executive producer, director, nicest people. And I kept again waiting. This is not, you know, what you see on television. These are really nice people. Um, so yeah, they, they get they get a bad rap. I think it's encouraging because it makes you realize you can be really good at what you do. You can have the vision. You can like the thing for the craft, right? Whether you're a casting director or you're an agent or whatnot. And because they're operating in the place that is top of the food chain, everyone else, whether they will admit it to themselves or not, does look up to what's happening out of LA. But if you realize that what's happening there is actually just looking for good talent Mm -hmm. and creating good stuff, not just because of the money, but just finding the best of the best, I think that's encouraging 
actually. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, finding the next big name or, you know, kind of what have you done for me lately? Like, yeah, okay, a lot of people struggle, but a lot of, you know, the people that make it and make it big, they end up making it out of there, out of some, you know, crazy set of circumstances they found themselves in only because they put themselves out there. Yeah, you really have to jump in, especially Canadian. It's even harder because the immigration issue is a right, whole yeah, different ball. Yeah. It's a very expensive thing to get a visa on that. So, But yeah, you have to be committed. Maybe that does weed out some of the people. So you are getting the best of the best. So fast forward, I don't know if podcasts will be a thing then, but fast forward, your daughter is sitting down for a podcast conversation. She's your age in the future. What would you want the world to be for her? I just, my biggest thing is I just want her to have the opportunity that if she works hard and is dedicated to something that it's there for her. She's gifted musically. Uh, she really is. Uh, her her ability to sing and stuff like that. So let's say she wanted to do that. It's not saying I don't really want her to do that, but if she did, I just liked her having a, 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 a fair playing field, one that's not with all the creepy crawly guys in the sure. past, yeah, that, yeah. you know, the type of guys that, you know, like, again, Me Too is one of those things where, you know, I'm sure some bad, some not so bad people have been caught out by this. They're just maybe bad behavior, but they're not exactly rapists. But the bad guys, I'm mm-hmm. so glad they're gone because oh, I don't want sure. my daughter to grow up in that sort of thing. And yeah, it would be great if she, if she doesn't, imagine that they don't have to worry about that stuff, you know? Yeah. I would be, uh, I would be elated if she has all the, the right opportunities because I think you said this earlier too. You said not because of their, their gender or their race or anything like that, but because they've worked their, their ass off and they're good at what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want I don't want to just be given to them. But, right. but what a great thing to, to know that she's, she's off to do whatever it is her passion. That's actually, that's even more um, to me is that I really, really hope that she finds what she loves. I did for years, uh, tried to do music, but what that meant was working full time and then doing music every night. And uh, even when we sort of became full time professional, there was no money in it. I guess I could say at least I was doing what I loved at the time. You give up eventually because it's so hard. Mm-hmm. And then the same with the acting. Uh, but I see so many people uh, in jobs that they really don't want to be in. But, you know, they make yeah. decent money or that's all they have. So for her, I would see even more besides having the opportunity. I hope she does something that she gets something out of. It doesn't have to make her famous. It doesn't have to do anything. It's just as long as that at the end of the day she feels a pride and, and that maybe is excited about Mondays. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. My wife sometimes when she's ticked off at me will say, you know, we don't we don't all uh, look forward to Mondays and stuff like that. So like, I don't want to do that on the weekend because like maybe a big cleaning sure. festival yeah, yeah. because you know Mondays are tough. And I've always said normally I I I like my Mondays. So if you know if your kids can have that where they're like, no, we're not rich. I got to work, but man, I'm looking forward to the challenge right. this week. You know, I'm looking forward to making a difference or whatever it is they're they're hot on. With our daughter, we're good there. But my my son, he wakes up Monday morning, and one of the first things he'll ask is, "Is it Friday yet?" I'm like, You're only five. <laughs> At five You're years in old, man. Kindergarten, dude. Like, come on. Um, no, you. you I, I love. I love what you said. In you know, we don't generally walk into a business meeting or anything ever thinking about how the women or the men in there are going to perceive us and might try to take advantage or whether our talent is actually coming through or any of those things. It would be nice for, you know, our, our daughters to not have to worry about that sort of thing. At the same time, you know, for sons to kind of grow up and think like everyone's just a person, Mm -hmm. like just, just see them for, for what they are. 
this took a long time to make happen, but thank you. Oh I, uh, I really appreciate this. I'm humbled. You are, I can, I can say, uh, for everyone out there listening who is a, a fan of Jeff, I can say that this guy's a real deal. Like I've seen him in action. Uh, he's amazing. Thank you for making time. I know you got other places to be and other things to do, but, uh, I'm appreciative. I, I hope we can do this again. There's a whole bunch of other stuff we could talk about, but before we kind of wrap up, uh, anything else you want to kind of leave people with where they can follow you or find you? Well, first I would say, honestly, thanks. This has been my favorite interview I've ever done. This has been a ball. I'm not joking. I've, this is Humbled. good, deep stuff. I've been enjoying this. You know, so Humbled. many times I talk about, you know, this is the show and this is what we do and whatever. This has been really, I could do this all day. And what were you asking me? You asked me, oh yeah, where, where can, can you find me? Where can people find you? Um, just down the road. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, under my name, Jeff Teravainen, um, Instagram, Twitter, I'm on there a lot. And again, I love taking pictures, so if you like photography, maybe you get some of that. There's a couple goofy shots of me on there. Twitter, I'm all over the map on that one. I I really actually enjoy it. Mm -hmm. It's fun to interact with fans. It is fun. And for someone who's always been fascinated by the world and different cultures, yeah. to, to you know, go on in the morning, you got something from Japan and somebody from, from Australia and whatever in England, and they're asking you questions, not just about the entertainment, just because fans will engage you. Yeah. It's cool. I, I, I enjoy it. So if you ever want to come on Twitter and talk, I'm, I'm all about yeah. that. Well, you've got some loving fans too. I've seen some great fan art and whatnot. I'm so like, lucky. like that says that says that says that you've connected with people at some level, right? Because you don't see that happen with everybody. No, I, I, I've been very fortunate. I'll never forget. Like London, England is my favorite city. I've really always been obsessed with the history there, and so to go there, to be paid to go there, and and be part of this Comic Con that was incredible. And then I remember walking on the stage, nervous, thinking I'm with all these other actors that are much more accomplished. And I got this giant applause. And, and, and then after we started meeting fans, I couldn't believe they were there to meet me. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm very fortunate. They, they're good. They, they treat me well. well. Considering what I have done, I think I've, I've overachieved on that end. Well, you're a good guy you're putting out in the world, so I am not surprised. Uh, we got to do this again, Jeff. Thank yeah, you. I'm in. All right, that's a wrap. Well, we did it. If you've listened till this point in the podcast, I can assume only one of two things. One, you really dig this podcast. You just love it and you can't get enough. Or two, you started the podcast, you got busy with something else or bored, you forgot about it, and it just kept playing on your phone or is playing over your speakers in your room, you left the room, and right now I'm just talking to nobody. But if you're one of the former and you're really loving this podcast, please help spread the word. There's a lot of ways that you can help support the podcast and what we're doing here with these conversations. Of course, you can subscribe to us on any podcast app or platform of choice. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, we're also on the incredible Ruckus Avenue Radio online station. If you really like what you're hearing, please help spread the word. There's a lot of ways you can do that. First of all, definitely hit us up on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review and a rating. You can also engage with us and suggest ideas for new guests and topics and conversations all over social media on Instagram at Awoken Word Podcast and on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook, we're at Awoken Word. If you like what you're hearing, 
share it on social media. Feel free to bring up any of the conversations or topics we've talked about here in your own podcasts or your own conversations. So until next time, be well, be safe, and I'll see you again on Awoken Word. Peace out.